Hello and welcome to another episode of the PA Path Podcast. But before we get started, we would like to extend a special thank you to our episode sponsor, Butler University. Today, we speak with PA Program Director Yasmina Cheeseman. PA Cheeseman is an Assistant Professor of Physician Assistant Studies at Franklin College in Franklin, Indiana. She obtained her first degree in clinical laboratory science from Indiana University and gained experience in both research and clinical laboratories. She went on to complete her master's in PA studies from Indiana State University and practiced in long-term care, urgent care, then a home-based primary care model. She transitioned to PA education in 2018 and became the program director in 2021. Yasmina, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a delight to get to know your program and know you. Could you tell us first about your path to becoming a PA? What led you from clinical laboratory sciences into the PA profession? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So clinical laboratory science is very science-based, as you can tell by the name. And we get a very strong background in medicine because med techs need to be able to understand the results. And if something looks strange, pick up the phone, talk to a nurse or, or physician before we actually result it. And the last part of that education includes clinical rotations. So I was at a large medical center with a med tech that was working on a transfusion unit. And as we were working with the patient, a PA walked in, introduced himself and said, hey, I went to the same clinical lab science program, but subsequently went on to PA school. And now I had the transfusion services here and deal with all transfusion reactions. And I thought, hmm, that's pretty cool that he was able to use his base knowledge and have a very interesting role. And that same day, I met a PA that was on the stem cell transplant unit. And I drooled. <laughs> As someone who is just ingrained in science, I thought this was the coolest job in the world. So that seed was planted, for sure. After I obtained my degree, I worked in a heart hospital. And so I got to closely work with some PAs in cardiology with through open hearts. And our lab was pretty much attached to the surgery suites. So again, that interest continued to build. And then something that would change my life forever happened. We all have that story. My grandmother ended up having a stroke and we had to transition her into a nursing home. So we did a lot of research because she was miles and miles away to make sure she's in a good place where she will get good care. And, and she was a complicated patient. It wasn't just post-stroke. It was end-stage heart disease, chronic kidney disease. So a lot of medical oversight was needed. And it turned out that it was a PA that was overseeing all of that. So we had a good relationship there. And as I continued to learn about the nursing home model, I realized how many shortages are out there when it comes to clinicians. It's very difficult to attract physicians to go into nursing homes. And in some cases, they go in once a month. And I don't think that's ideal care. So I said, that's it. I'll go to PA school and help fill this gap. So that's exactly what happened. I applied that same year, got in, and upon graduation, I exclusively looked for nursing home jobs. Wow. So that's great. And you, you saw a problem you wanted to fix. Tell us about that first foray into long-term care as a BA. Yes. 
I was actually the first PA hired into the entire group. And so that was something new for the practice. I was lucky enough where the APP model was well-developed in my organization. So I was well-supported, but it required a lot of education, both with nurses as well as patient population. And that ties, I think, to other disciplines as well. People don't always know who we are and, and what we can do. So that was a work in progress and continues to be. But that's also an opportunity, right? Every one of us is a face for the profession. And so as we are providing care, I'm always excited to share about the PA profession and what we can do. We had talked offline before a little bit about advocacy. It sounds like you got your passion for advocacy from actually trying to fix a system that you felt was not as functional as it could be. Yeah, we are utilized well in many areas, but there are more opportunities for us. There's no reason why more PAs can't go into long-term care or rural medicine. And so growing that, I think, is going to both be impactful for a profession, but also for patients, right? The more providers, the better patient care, ultimately. Yeah. And to your point, so I have done long-term care work as well. And at the time I did it, it, it was a while ago, but it was, you were able to be reimbursed by CMS to visit every 30 days. Mm -hmm. And so what we did is the physician and I rotated over there. We were in an internal medicine clinic and mm -hmm. I went every 60 days, he went every 60 days. And then we would go more frequently if there were issues that we needed to check on a patient and things like that. But it's, it's a special population. You're right. It, there, there's this kind of balancing act that you're in with patients in that age group and in that kind of setting. Because if they get sick, they can get sick really fast. Yeah, absolutely. They also, they're tricky too, right? They, they, one of the most common things you learn as a PA student is in the ER, seeing patients come in with uh, symptoms of delirium and they're in their you know 70s, 80s, 90s, and you need to be thinking about where is that infection? Where is that coming from? Is it a stroke? Is it neurologic? Are they having EENT issues where they've got a labyrinthitis or something that's setting them off and making them seem a little goofy? It's so accentuated that it, it takes a keen eye to be thinking about that population. Absolutely. And I think that's where frequent visits and building that relationship, knowing your patient well, where once you go into see Mrs. whatever, and you notice even just a slight demeanor change, if you know that person well, you're able to pick up on the slightest signs of, uh-oh, infection is setting in. And yeah, you set up, they're tricky. They don't always exhibit classic signs. But as yeah. clinicians, we really need to be in tune with them. Yeah, I agree. So at some point in time, you got the, the bug could be in education. Tell us about that transition. Yes. So that actually started also while I was in my undergrad studies. I was a academic mentor for physiology and absolutely loved it contemplated even going into education, but my love for science was just so strong. And then when I was in PA school, it was a newer program. We experienced turnover and our, the faculty that were there were transparent about difficulty to get speakers. And I thought to myself, my goodness, especially during hematology, because I had worked in it, I was very comfortable. I could pretty much get up there and, and teach most of it. I remember thinking, okay, once I'm a PA, I will go back and at least help teach hematology, if nothing else. And 
after I was comfortable as a PA, I started occasionally precepting students. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I would love to share my knowledge and maybe serve as an adjunct, teach a little bit here and there. As I explored for that, there was a new PA program opening up fairly close to me. And I had lots of conversations with the PD and he said, well, you know, then we also have a full-time position. I ended up taking a leap of faith and absolutely have loved it. When I remember transitioning and sharing with my family, I can't believe that I'm getting paid to read and write lectures and teach others. Like it does not feel like a job to me. So it was a very good match for me. That is a good match. That's when you found your calling, I would think. Yeah. I like to say that one of the biggest privileges of my life is to love what I do, love who I do it with, and love who I do it for. And when you have a team and a setup where you're feeling that, like you described, there's really no greater feeling in the world, probably. Yeah. And I'm lucky in the sense that I still love my identity as a PA. I love my patients. Uh, My flame for lab and research is still there. So I've just been very grateful that I've been on the right path and that my career has been very flexible to cater to me and in my interest. Let's take a quick break for a word from our episode sponsor, Butler University. Shape the future of healthcare at Butler University. Whether you're a practicing PA or soon-to-be PA graduate, Butler's Doctor of Medical Science programs offer the education and experience to advance your career. The DMS program serves PAs interested in deepening their knowledge with one of four focus concentrations, while the DMS BRID program offers an accelerated curriculum designed for new PAs within six months of graduation from an accredited PA program. Learn more about your DMS options at www.butler.edu forward slash DMS. So a lot of times clinicians think education is just a kind of an easy trip. And clinical practice is hard, right? It's a lot of chaos sometimes. There's a lot of pressures. There's stress related to patient outcomes. Can you talk about that transition and what you really learned and how that's different and how it might be similar? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there are a lot of skills that easily you can carry from being a PA to being an educator. We are all supposed to be educating our patients and building a relationship with our patients. And To me, that's very analogous to the relationship with students. So that's helpful. But there is a big learning curve going from clinical medicine to academia. It's a whole new language that you learn. And PA profession is also highly regimented by ARC-PA. So then we need to learn the standards and make sure we're following everything that can be challenging as well. And it requires a lot of collaboration too, in many cases with your colleagues. It's not just about you and your patients, but now it's how do I work with adjuncts and and my full-time colleagues to make sure that I'm creating an environment that's conducive to learning and, and creating the best outcomes for students. The program that you're describing that you had found, this local program, I assume that's Franklin College? Yes. <laughs> yes. So tell us all about Franklin College. I, I know you're located in Franklin, Indiana. It looks like you have a pretty small class size, which is the envy of many of us. What do you typically tell pre-applicants about the program and kind of your focus? Yeah, so Franklin College is very small, about a 1,000 students total. 
And we are the second master's program for the school. And it was important to carry that culture of small classroom. So you are correct. We only have 24 seats. And that's a beautiful thing. We really get to have a lot of FaceTime with students during lab time. There's usually availability where we can coach students easily, cases, we put them into groups and can coach one-on-one as needed. And so that's definitely a big perk for me as an educator and I think for students as well. Similar to being in tune with your patients, because the cohort is so small, we're in tune with our students. So it's easy for us to sense, hey, this student is struggling in this subject matter. Why don't you come to my office? Why don't we take a look? Why don't we have a conversation? And in general, we nurture a family-type approach in our program where everyone is very supportive, open-door policies, so that students truly feel like we are a family there to support them through this difficult journey. It looks like you have a 25-month curriculum, so 12 months of didactic, 12 months of clinical, plus a month-long capstone? Correct. And the capstone, what is the focus of that typically? Is it research? Is it community engagement, needs assessments? Yes. So it is a community improvement project. And it's actually something they start in their didactic year during research methods. They start building that research. And then as they go through clinicals, they finish gathering the data, be it through a survey or collaborating with the clinical site, and ultimately to come up with some kind of a proposal how to improve either a clinic or a health outcome in our community. And as your students have completed those tasks, what what were the, maybe some examples of projects that really seemed to hit home for you? Yeah, really a lot of variation, everything from smoking cessation to looking at increasing breastfeeding in a particular population in Indiana. So very catered to our community, and that's what we ask our students. I remember one student developing a whole process for a clinic that saw a significant number of people that struggle with alcohol intake. It's always fun to see the ideas that they're coming up and potential ways to help our clinics. It's a great way, in my experience, to really prepare them for the variety of cultures and community challenges they're going to see when they're in practice. Yes, absolutely. And in our program, that is very important. Our mission is tied to serving the underserved. And we really push understanding social determinants of health. We teach that from the beginning. I say, just because you can prescribe medicine to someone does not mean you took care of them. Look at the whole picture. Look at the referral programs. Look at the cost associated with everything. That's one part of it. But the other part is cultural competence, understanding the wide spectrum of populations we will encounter as clinicians. This year, we are even extending and trying something new. I partnered with a colleague in our religious studies department. And so we're going to be teaching religious literacy. And then I will write some cases covering those minority religions and have our students see these patients from the community and have good discussions about how do we ensure we're sensitive to differences amongst us and how do we make sure that we do things better the next time. 
Yeah, I think I read on your website that you're very focused on person-centered care. And to do that, you really need to understand what motivates the person, where their belief structures are at, so that you can navigate that effectively with them. I applaud you for that. If I'm an applicant uh, looking at your program, what are ways that I can really prepare myself to stand out as a strong candidate? We have a fairly holistic admissions process. Of course, grades are a part of that, especially biology and chemistry. But we absolutely look at patient care hours. That's important. And so the more hours, the better, but also the quality and the complexity of that direct patient care. So EMT is very different than someone that helps wheel patients within a hospital, right? Different level of complexity. The other thing we absolutely look at is shadowing and the overall understanding of the PA profession. Students sometimes see the salary, see what the media writes about our profession and are eager to become a part of it. Then they realize, oh, it's not about that. And that could lead to a unfulfilling role. And so we, we want to make sure that we're selecting individuals that are passionate about care, serving the underserved and catering to patient-centered care. And the third thing is going to be just showing to us that there's something you have done in the past that connects you to our mission. Usually that's volunteering, being involved in your community, showing evidence that you truly care. That's great. I was looking at your site and as a developing program director, I really like how you've laid out your applicant preferences. I think your website's very clear. And I also noticed that your accreditation is good through 2033, mm-hmm. which means you just went through last year, right? Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. What a process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think we all cheer each other on as you go through those site visits and self-study work and all that. So that that's always good to see a program get the full 10 years. So fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you'd like to share from a, you know, the program's perspective for applicants that would help them differentiate your program from maybe others in the area or other things you'd like to always tell folks to think about? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. I, as far as uniqueness, we definitely look for people that truly match our mission. And so that's something that is helpful. But generally speaking, sometimes I've encountered applicants that are interested in the PA profession, but hesitate because of grades or age. And what I want to say to anyone that might be in those shoes is everything is possible. If you're truly passionate, you can do it. We've had 40 plus year olds complete the program successfully and become phenomenal providers. And maybe your grades weren't ideal, but look at everything else you've done in life. And that's going to help your case. Being persistent and believing in yourself, following your passion is what I would recommend to any prospective applicant. Before we go, I noticed that we talked about this a little bit. You grew up in Bosnia and we, we talked about the fact that they now have a physician extender like profession there too. And I wonder if you could just share a little bit about that experience when you went back and saw that. Yes. So I was absolutely delighted that other countries are looking at this model and I, I've seen recently publications in some of the PA journals about PA profession in other countries and how we're contributing to that. But somewhat similar in the U.S., the physician extenders are used more in nursing homes or really rural areas. 
filling those gaps where it's difficult to get physicians. And again, that's a beautiful thing because we're increasing access to care. And I'm hopeful that globally, more and more countries pick up on this trend and evolve medicine to, to be able to cater to patients. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yes, Vina, we always like to give our guests the last word. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you'd like to share before we go? Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it, as well as creating a platform that both highlights our profession and helps future PAs become PAs. Uh, thank you very much. We want to thank our guest, Yasmina Cheeseman, for her time and insights into the Franklin University PA program. PA Cheeseman provided important information about her program and about the experience of attending Franklin College in Indiana. Their mission focused on serving the underserved in the state of Indiana is really admirable, and we were delighted to hear more about her background as well. We want to say thanks again to our episode sponsor, Butler University. Tune in next time as we continue the conversations with our PA colleagues and leaders around the world.